Please check the description for a link to paper copies of the books featured and upcoming as well as links to other products that will help support this podcast. Thanks for being awesome. Chapter 2. How to Criticize and Not Be Hated for It Charles Schwab was passing through one of his steel mills one day at noon when he came across some of his employees smoking. Immediately above their heads was a sign that said, No Smoking. Did Schwab point to the sign and say, Can't you read? Oh, no, not Schwab. He walked over to the men, handed each one a cigar, and said, I'll appreciate it, boys, if you'll smoke these on the outside. They knew that he knew that they'd broken a rule, and they admired him because he said nothing about it and gave them a little present and made them feel important. Couldn't keep from loving a man like that, could you? John Wanamaker used the same technique. Wanamaker used to make a tour of his great store in Philadelphia every day. Once he saw a customer waiting at a counter. No one was paying the slightest attention to her. The salespeople? Oh, they were in a huddle at the far end of the counter, laughing and talking among themselves. Wanamaker didn't say a word. Quietly slipping behind the counter, he waited on the woman himself and then handed the purchase to the salespeople to be wrapped as he went on his way. Public officials are often criticized for not being accessible to their constituents. They are busy people, and the fault sometimes lies in overprotective assistants who don't want to overburden their bosses with too many visitors. Carl Langford, who has been mayor of Orlando, Florida, the home of Disney World, for many years, frequently admonished his staff to allow people to see him. He claimed he had an open-door policy. Yet the citizens of his community were blocked by secretaries and administrators when they called. Finally, the mayor found the solution. He removed the door from his office. His aides got the message, and the mayor has had a truly open administration since the day his door was symbolically thrown away. Simply changing one three-letter word can often spell the difference between failure and success in changing people without giving offense or arousing resentment. Many people begin their criticism with sincere praise, followed by the word but, and ending with a critical statement. For example, in trying to change a child's careless attitude toward studies, we might say, we're really proud of you, Johnny, for raising your grades this term, but if you had worked harder on your algebra, the results would have been better. In this case, Johnny might feel encouraged until he heard the word but. He might then question the sincerity of the original praise. To him, the praise seemed only to be a contrived lead-in to a critical inference of failure. Credibility would be strained, and we probably would not achieve our objectives of changing Johnny's attitude toward his studies. This could be easily overcome by changing the word but to and. We're really proud of you, Johnny, for raising your grades this term, and by continuing the same conscientious efforts next term, your algebra grade can be up with all the others. Now Johnny would accept the praise, because there was no follow-up of an inference of failure. We have called his attention to the behavior we wished to change indirectly, and the chances are he will try to live up to our expectations. Calling attention to one's mistakes indirectly works wonders with sensitive people who may resent bitterly any direct criticism. Marge Jacob of Woonsocket, Rhode Island, told one of our classes how she convinced some sloppy construction workers to clean up after themselves when they were building additions to her house. 
For the first few days of the work, when Mrs. Jacob returned from her job, she noticed that the yard was strewn with the cut ends of lumber. She didn't want to antagonize the builders because they did excellent work. So after the workers had gone home, she and her children picked up and neatly piled all the lumber debris in a corner. The following morning, she called the foreman to one side and said, I'm really pleased with the way the front lawn was left last night. It's nice and clean and doesn't offend the neighbors. From that day forward, the workers picked up and piled the debris to one side, and the foreman came in each day seeking approval of the condition the lawn was left in after a day's work. One of the major areas of controversy between members of the Army Reserves and their regular Army trainers is haircuts. The reservists consider themselves civilians, which they are most of the time, and resent having to cut their hair short. Master Sergeant Harley Kaiser of the 542nd USAR School addressed himself to this problem when he was working with a group of reserved non-commissioned officers. As an old-time regular army master sergeant, he might have been expected to yell at his troops and threaten them. Instead, he chose to make his point indirectly. Gentlemen, he started, you are leaders. You will be most effective when you lead by example. You must be the example for your men to follow. You know what the Army regulations say about haircuts. I'm going to get my haircut today, although it's still much shorter than some of yours. You look at yourselves in the mirror. If you feel you need a haircut to be a good example, we'll arrange a time for you to visit the post-barber shop. And the result was predictable. Several of the candidates did look in the mirror and went to the barber shop that afternoon and received regulation haircuts. Sergeant Kaiser commented the next morning that he already could see the development of leadership qualities in some of the members of the squad. On March 8, 1887, the eloquent Henry Ward Beecher died. The following Sunday, Lyman Abbott was invited to speak in the pulpit left silent by Beecher's passing. Eager to do his best, he wrote, rewrote, and polished his sermon with the meticulous care of a Flaubert. Then he read it to his wife. It was poor, as most written speeches are. As she might have said, if she had less judgment, Lyman, that's terrible, that will never do. You'll put people to sleep. It reads like an encyclopedia. You ought to know better than that, after all the years you've been preaching. For heaven's sake, why don't you talk like a human being? Why don't you act natural? You'll disgrace yourself if you ever read that stuff. That's what she might have said. And if she had, you know what would have happened. And she knew, too. So she merely remarked that it would make an excellent article for the North American Review. In other words, she praised it and at the same time subtly suggested that it wouldn't do as a speech. Lyman Abbott saw the point, tore up his carefully prepared manuscript, and preached without even using notes. An effective way to correct others' mistakes is Principle 2. Call attention to people's mistakes indirectly.